Hi there, welcome to Dividend Talk Podcast Episode 5. How to find your next dividend growth stock. Yo, 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 welcome back to another episode of Dividend Talk. I'm your co-host European DGI and I'm joined today with Engineer My Freedom. This is a podcast where we discuss our passion and knowledge for investing and personal finance. And in this episode, we'll take a brief look at the news, explain how we are looking for attractive dividend growth stocks, and we will answer a few questions from you. All this with our own unique European flavor. We are delighted that you could join us. And if you are new, please like and subscribe to us. Feel also free to check out our previous episodes on YouTube and Spotify or on any other of your favorite platforms. Ready? See you on the inside. Hey EMF, never a dull moment while the world keeps on turning. Twitter got got attacked by hackers who were targeting 130 high-profile accounts like the one from Elon Musk, Joe Biden, Kanye West, and Barack Obama. And then again, the US cancels its preferential treatment for Hong Kong, UK, bans Huawei from its 5G network, and there's speculation that Uncle Warren Buffett has been buying back shares for approximately $5 billion dollars. Last but not least, you got to believe it, but 44 people got arrested in Italy, France, and Belgium for illegally printing money. And this was going really up into the millions. Knowing all this, what happened last week? What are your thoughts about this? It's been a busy week, hasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I've seen those Twitter attacks actually on on the guys from Elon Musk and all seem to be related to Bitcoin and here's my Bitcoin address, pass that about. I was half tempted to just jump on and put my own Bitcoin address in and say, if you're giving these guys money, send them to me. But um, it's not the first time that's happened, I don't think. Um, from a Twitter perspective, it's it's not great, especially happening to so many big accounts. It has to reflect negatively on them a little bit. So I, I don't know how you track that or how you monitor that. They've done it before, but it's something I'd imagine they'd want to clean up quite quickly. The UK one is quite interesting. Um, with Huawei trying to ban 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 them, I, I'm not sure. The US tried this recently; they reversed it. Do you know what? Why? What's the relationship there? Why are they trying to ban them? So, in general, um, how you said, telecommunications uh, network in any country is really important from an uh, how you said from a, a safety point of view. You don't want hackers suddenly to intervene in your police communication or something like that. Um, you don't want them to be listening into all the conversations that are going on in the country from a spying point of view. And there is always this notion that the products, products from China and Hawaii um, will allow the Chinese government to spy on, on countries like the US, the UK, but also other countries in Europe. Well, for, I know 5G make things faster, but why not ban them off 4G or 3G? Can't they effectively spy and do the same on, on those networks? So honestly, I'm not knowledgeable about that enough, but I can imagine that the 3G and the 4G um, telecom network was uh, built earlier when we maybe didn't use so many Chinese products yet at the time. But honestly, um, I don't know. Yeah, It is a really interesting development because for me, it just shows more like how the um, 
powers in the world are shifting more from the U.S. To, towards China as well. I think the U.S. is struggling with that. Yeah. And um, it's probably hard for the U.S. also to recognize the rising, the rising power of China. And like you see with all great empires in the world, power starts shifting at a certain moment. So it's really, really important now how, how the U.S. and Europe deal with China because they mm. are too big to ignore. And I think that's the underlying um, uh, issue, what we see in politics, personally. Yeah, something I'll, I'll keep a close eye on next door to my neighbor so it'll be something that I'll be very interested in but from my end from my end the news is not as exciting as yours you seem to be well up on what's happening um two bits that kind of stuck out for me was the first one was Wells Fargo that I think we everyone knew they were going to cut their dividend I don't think that was in question but it was just the amount of the, they cut it 80 yeah. percent down to down to 10 cents was massive and I, I'm wondering is this going to pave the way then for other banks and yeah. Are they going to follow a similar path? So it was, it was quite interesting. And I was shocked. I, I don't hold any shares, luckily, but from Twitter and, and that, I know a few people that have, and I was quite shocked to yeah. see see that big of a, a cut to them. And the second piece that kind of stood out to me was, was Google announcing a 10 billion fund for India, digitization fund, which is massive. It, there's obviously an untapped market there and we see potential. I know Facebook have moved into India a bit as well, so... I wonder is that is that where focus should be a little bit shifting towards yeah. in the next few years? So I definitely think that India is a booming uh, uh, country. If you look there at the current middle class, they're quite young, so they will become more wealthy in the upcoming years. So I think this will be a big catalyst for many countries that are able to enter India, uh, both from a political point of view, but second also from a business model point of view so i think uh, companies that are now trying to path the way for their future business in india might might really earn a lot from that and can can probably see this as a catalyst going forward that's why i like a company like unilever because they have a really good um, trust relationship with their consumers and they are already in in these countries and they've been there they've been trying to get integrated there for the last decades or even longer oh and this is why i'm so um convinced in unilever because in in apec let's say that's for me one of their catalysts going forward with how they are looking at uh, doing business there yeah. yeah so maybe they're ahead of the curve 10 years 10 years there already it's impressive yeah well they are not such a high growth company like google and other tech companies but i think it's wise to consider india definitely so my news mainly was uh, actually uh, yesterday's earnings from uh, Netflix and the, and the drop of the, the share price uh, afterwards. And it just shows, tells me that this is kind of an irrational market. Because if I, I went through the numbers a little bit, I really like their cash flow. Their free cash flow was probably the highest ever from, from what I could quickly see. Um, of course, it, uh, the cash flow was quite high because it was contributed by um, the fact that there was a COVID lockdown, so they didn't need to spend so much on new productions. So it beefs up the cash flow, of course. But also, they've been investing more and more in Netflix originals, so they don't pay all these licensing uh, prices. And if I then look look at it, why the stock was down, it was effectively because the EPS expectations uh, were 15% higher than they delivered. Now, I understand this. If this is growth stock, they are really looking like laser focused at the EPS numbers. 
But if I then hear that they had so many new subscribers that they pulled forwards towards the end of the year, but then I think if I look at the net effect and I saw a graph about it of the total subscriber growth, I think Netflix is, is just meeting all targets. So I, I didn't really understand, but I guess this stock was priced for perfection. And that was probably the reason why it went 10% down. And this just makes me wonder what will happen to all those other tech stocks that are currently priced for perfection. Uh, will we mm. see more of, of those stocks getting beaten down? Also a Tesla as an example. That, that is for me probably um, the main reason why, why I will prepare some popcorn for the uh, upcoming uh, earnings season. Yeah. So, so you're telling me that the earnings per share was 15% higher. So the, so the, no, lower, expect- lower. The expectations oh, okay. were higher. Okay. Yeah. I, I was quite confused there. I, I thought you said higher and I was like, yeah. it dropped because it was higher. But, yeah. uh, but does that tell you then, is that more institutional investors? Or do you think it's more retail investors that are looking at this and going, expecting earnings to be X amount because they've read yeah. this is what it's meant to be and then just because it was a straight line it was a straight line drop from what i've seen yeah i i, I really don't know uh, emf i really don't know i just find the reaction by itself um really interesting uh really in the context of okay what will happen now to other tech stocks you know and i own facebook apple and google as an example so i'm wondering like what will met what will microsoft do if it just you know uh delivers delivers a really little bit under uh, expectations. Not that I care so much because it will get me a better yield. Although if it drops 10 person, I would still not add any Microsoft. But this yeah. is why I find this more interesting. I see it more like, as, uh, is this the canary in the, in the coal mine? Yeah. C- certainly, uh, I'd agree with you. Certainly with the likes of Tesla that, that seem to be so, I don't know, overpriced, but just absolutely booming if they miss expectations how hard are they going to fall it it would definitely be definitely be one to watch yeah and i I wanted to still come back a little bit uh, to what you mentioned about wells fargo so i was literally watching all the hearings um at the moment when they created all those three million fake bank accounts i was watching live on youtube like for several hours listening how elizabeth warren was uh, interrogating the ceo at the time and I told myself I will never touch the stock again. Um, so probably if I would have been an investor at the time, I would have sold during this fraud. And this is a little bit where I sometimes struggle when it comes to ethical investing or sin stocks. For me, uh, banks are naturally on my sin stock list, but I have no problem uh, buying oil and gas. So I know it mm. sounds a little bit hypocrite, but what Wells Fargo did there would already mean that I would never want to own this stock. And I'm not surprised that in the end, Wells Fargo is still feeling the pain of, of what, what they were doing at the time. Because there's just not a lot of clout or trust around this company at the moment. Yeah. So anything that can happens that, that happens to them, I think they will be harder punished than any other bank like JP Morgan or something like that. Maybe it was a sense of karma finally coming back to to catch up and yes, but I feel I feel for all the investors, dividend growth investors that lost income there. So yeah, it's a pity. Hey, but um, this was the news for the week. Let's uh, get to our main topic for today. 
And it's probably good to know that our main topic today is inspired by the questions in the YouTube comments from Eric in Paris and Philip Seckler. And they were really wondering more about the practicality of how we find and select the stocks, dividend growth stocks that we would uh, uh, consider owning. So not so much necessarily on the uh, metrics that we use for evaluation, but rather like how do we even get to a list of stocks? And I think that's a very interesting uh, topic to discuss because now I'm a bit further in my journey, but I remember when starting, this was one of the biggest hurdles that I had. Like, how do all these other guys, how do all these bloggers know that this talk is interesting? Am I a fool that I don't see them or something like that? So yeah, EMF, can you explain a little bit like your approach to finding uh, dividend growth stocks that you, you might want to consider? And what do you use for it? What sources do you use? Do you have your own mechanics? We'll be really interested yeah. to learn from you. Of course. So when I first started, I, I started following a guy, the Dividend Growth Investor, uh, from, I think he's from the US or, or Canada, but he has a weekly, weekly newsletter. And his goal was invest, or it was a monthly new, newsletter, sorry, but his goal was to invest 1,000 a month and he'd send out 10 stocks that you buy. And that's, basically how I got started. I was literally following his to the letter. Now he sent out really comprehensive I'm picking OMC because of this and he'd lay out all the reasons. So it was a very good learning tool for me and it was good to just follow while I was learning. So I was confident enough in the companies I was picking while still learning. But obviously you don't want to follow someone all the time. You need to learn your own way because I didn't always agree with some of the companies he picked or some of them I was reading, I was like, I don't agree with that. So you start to develop your own your own feel for it. And the, the first place I, I found was that dripinvesting.org, which is a fantastic, fantastic website. And within that, they have, they have all sorts. So they have the Dividend Champions Excel spreadsheet. They have European Dividend Champions, which I'm not sure is, is up to date anymore. They have the Canadian dividend all star. So they have all sorts and they have trackers, Google Sheet trackers, blogs. They have anything that you need to get started, really. And that's probably the first place where, where I went to. I actually, just, just to say something before I go on, I think you should get your Nobel 30 list in here. I think, it, I think it's well suited, but that's for another day. But, but what I started to do was I started to download that. I think it's dividend CCC spreadsheet every month. So it's out at the start of every month. And I have my metrics and I have a blog post now, but I won't go into in too much detail. And I'd filter each company or each one based on that. So I use Excel formulas and I'd be left with 10, maybe 10 to 15 different companies by the end of it. And, and from there, it was at the beginning, it was, it was kind of, kind of stock picking <laughs> which ones they, they all met my metrics they all met my screeners so where where did you go from there so I kind of started with the, the biggest names first so ones that I knew that I understood like Coca-Cola for example everybody knows what Coca-Cola is about so it was easier for me to see that they meet my metrics I can look at the financials and see what's kind of happening I'm only learning the financials I'm not no expert in them by any means but it was a good stepping stone to, to do that I've moved on from that a little bit now and I have an app from one of the guys on Twitter, Dividend Cultivator. Great guy. I've spoke to him on Skype a couple of times. Really, really helpful. Answers any questions. And what I love about this, this app is that he's kind of tailoring it to, to the dividend growth investor. And 
I gave him lots of feedback and he invited me then to see his Trello board. He can see all the work that's going on and everything that I suggested, you can see there and other dividend growth investors. And there's a filter on it now and I can put in my, what I want, my yields, yield on cost, dividend growth, payout ratio, even down to the sector and I can filter. And it literally takes me a couple of seconds, maybe 15 seconds to get a, a list of companies. But are those US, my, uh, US-based they're, companies? They're all, they're all US-based. Now, I have asked for European stocks, but I believe it's a little bit more work. But I'm sure if there was enough interest, he will, he will go down that road. From a European perspective, it's hard to find a definitive list to, to work through. I, don't, I, I know you did an, an awesome amount of work getting your list together, but your blog is my go-to for European stocks. If I'm looking for a European stock, I'd probably start mm-hmm. at your Nobel Turkey list have a look through them and, and go through. And I've done that with a couple of, of different companies. And then I work through their financials then now that I'm more comfortable with it. But I haven't really found one that I've liked yet. I haven't looked at Unilever yet, but I'm still working my way through your list. So I'm literally working at the top, going through the financials slowly. It takes a lot of time and I don't know how, how you did it all. But, um, but I'd, lo- I'd love... I'd love an easy app like that for European investors. Yeah. If, if, if anyone knew one, it'd be great, but there's so many resources out there for, for European stock or US stocks. Like uh, one of the other ones that I used at the beginning was Fin, it's gone from Finviz, yes. I haven't used it in a while, but again, that's great. You have a tab at the top and you have any amount of filters. So they're really helpful. But I, I think one thing that I found is that sometimes the data depends on where you're getting them from, can be out of date, incorrect, mm-hmm. yeah. depends on the source where they're getting them from. So I, I'm getting into the habit slowly of, I have my own G sheet, which I'll, I'll put a screenshot of this on my blog and I'll put it on the YouTube as well. But I have a G sheet now and I have the, the main points that I pick out that I look for in a company. And I look back over the last 10 years. So I have from 2011 to 2019, so it's nine years. And I look at the revenue, I look at the income, their debt, assets, equity, cash flow, and then return on equity. And they're my kind of key points. Once they tick all those boxes, I go a little bit in and check well, the history of the payout ratio, history of the dividend growth. And then if I'm more comfortable in that, a little bit more in depth on where the company is going, what their prospects are, where they, where they're planning on going. And then I'll, I'll start to invest in that company that's that's kind of how how i go about so and and how did you because i think this might be really interesting also for for eric for instance who asked that it's Mm. like how did you actually know which metrics to use because you meant you mentioned return on equity it's not something that uh yeah which is an everyday uh uh Word that when you talk to your mother in the kitchen she says like emf look at the return (laughs) on equity it's I build up each bit slowly. So I think people can get a little bit overwhelmed and they, and they want to know everything at once. And they want, I need to understand all this before I invest. And I don't believe in that. I believe, always believe in learn as you go, just get started and you'll make mistakes, but you'll keep learning. So I've built that up over time. So as I said, I started using just basic, net, well, I started by following a blog, first of all, a newsletter. Yeah. Then, I, then I moved to that, to the basic metrics. And now I'm reading books on financials, getting more comfortable with financials and, and picking out the bits that I think are relevant. Yeah. And that's what, that's right. So I, I'm reading the Warren Buffet's book 
how to interpret financial statements. Yeah. And I'm three quarters of the way through that now. So I'm picking out bits and pieces as I go along. But when you look at it, you, you, need, you need revenue, you need strong earnings, you need cash flow. You want a low amount of debt. And then you, you want a nice return as, as, as an investor. So they're the key points that, that I picked. And that might change. You could ask me this in another year and I might have yeah. tweaked that or, or not. So, so what's really interesting for me then is like, what information inputs did you use to buy your first, let's say, three, four stocks? The, the first, so it was, it was yield. The yield had to be 1.5 times more than the S&P 500. So if the S&P 500 yield So, so my was, question is more like, where did you got the knowledge from that you came to the conclusion that it would be one, 1.5 times the S&P yield? I took a Udemy course. <laughs> I, I can't remember the name of the guy. I, I would yeah. definitely link to the course. Um, but I, I took a Udemy course and he just broke it down step by step. And that's how, and that, he actually introduced me to the CCC list as well. So yeah. that's how I got started. And that's, that's where I started. I think this is really interesting for starting investors, right? And I had a few times people reaching out to me and I noticed that it's a lot about co building confidence because mm. friends, if you want to put thousand euros, let's say in the stock exchange the first time, it's a lot of money. It's yeah. a lot of money to do that the first time. So building up this confidence is really like, what kind of information do you need for that? That, that gives you this confidence, right? Because yeah. there's a, uh, you don't want to lose the money straight away and uh, need to explain your wife or husband saying like, Hey, I screwed up. I, I, I believe some of that will come from fear of, we, we touched on this before, the yeah. fear of losing money. And when, and when that mindset change, and if you invest in money that you can, I'd say afford to lose, you don't want to lose, but if it, if you did lose that money, it doesn't impact your lifestyle. Yeah. Then it's a, it's a lot easier to take a little bit of a risk, a little bit of a gamble. Um, like with a thousand, even 5,000. But if, you, if, if you're really interested and really passionate about it, put in that thousand, it might, you might make a mistake. But yeah. if you're passionate, you're going to keep learning and keep learning and you'll make that. I learn more from my mistakes. If I, if I didn't make mistakes, I, I wouldn't learn. So yeah. sometimes I welcome them. I don't want to lose loads of money doing it, but it's, it's what helped me gain the confidence and just to keep going. Yeah. Okay, cool. How about you? I know some of our resources might, might cross over, but I'm, I'm interested. You, how you so, pick your European stocks and stuff is be quite interesting. Yeah, so I also was early on, you know, if you Google on dividend growth investing, there were at the time, six years ago, two blocks that uh, popped up. That was dividend mantra and dividend growth investor. And via dividend growth investor, I got into touch with dripinvesting.org that you just referred to. So I was effectively using the same approach, downloading this uh, Excel sheet and then, then doing my filtering based on some criteria that I also learned from via dividend growth investor or dividend mantra, who effectively had a lot of blog posts where they did stock analysis and they shared what they were doing. So that was probably my main source when I started out investing. Uh, second to that, just by looking at other bloggers they often had a lot of stock ids so i'm they might not have caught my attention via even the drip investing sheet just because i was not familiar with it but by them blogging on it it, 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 it i started to see for instance oh wait i know these products or services that they sell actually i recognize that i never knew that there was this company behind it 
So that's uh, so other bloggers as well. That was one of source uh, for inspiration for finding new stocks. And the third one was just looking at European indexes. Uh, for instance, if I wanted to find European stocks, I know that there were, um, uh, uh, I'm talking about five years ago, there was probably one or two links to European stocks. But honestly, uh, often the data was not accurate behind it. So I didn't trust that information uh, a lot. So in the end, I just went literally to the um, Amsterdam Stock Exchange, the German Stock Exchange, the Paris Stock Exchange, and just started to look for companies that I knew, uh, like almost like Peter Lynch, right? Um, from one yeah. up on Wall Street. And that's how I started to look into those companies uh, and whether they have their, um, whether there was a dividend growth companies. And how I usually find that out, that was via Googling. But I quite quickly came to the realization that uh, usually the data is not correct for European stocks. So I think um, uh, that's why many apps also struggle with having European stocks in there. Mm. So I just ended up going into annual reports. And I'm not unfamiliar with annual reports because during my university, I had quite some accounting and finance. So I was quite familiar with it, but I never looked at it really from an investor investing point of view. I usually looked at it from a bookkeeping uh, point of view. So for me, um, I had even courses in financial reporting. So uh, it was quite easy for me to uh, go to that data. But let's say that was mainly my source for inspiration. And then when it came to, uh, to doing an initial analysis screening, um, I had my own G-sheets at the time where, where I pulled data from uh, the Google Finance, um, uh, what is it, formula? Yeah. But yeah. More recently, uh, also after you mentioned that I started really to use IO charts for US stocks because um, they give me everything in a quick overview. They give me the depth, uh, what I find important. They give me the the earnings and, and the development over time, because that's one, yeah. one of the most important for me, the trends, right? So th that's really what I look at. So IO charts.io is for US stocks, really a good one. And for European stocks, I stick to the annual reports. But to be fair, I'm, I'm neither using dripinvesting.org anymore. I'm neither using uh, other bloggers really anymore that much. Um, because by now I, I have my allocation strategy created. So I know which 40 stocks I want to own and that's what I focus on. And probably if you ask me a, a certain uh, a ticker symbol, I, I probably know for approximately 100 stocks, I know almost the price, let's say, given or take 10% difference. I know almost the price by my by heart just because I've been looking at stocks for the last six years. So Honestly, I don't really need any more of those tools because I'm much more further in the journey and it sticks in my mind. But if I would start over today, to summarize, it would be dripinvesting.org, just looking at the European stock exchanges and, and figuring out what, which companies I know and looking just at other bloggers to find inspiration and then IO charts for, um, uh, for US stocks and annual reports for European stocks. Um, when I start doing a full analysis, I have a template for that. I will put that also a link to it in the description of uh, the YouTube video. And this template is based on the single best investment. This is a book about dividend growth investing because this author of it really describes well what kind of um, I said metrics you need to look at uh, to, to, for instance, to judge whether the dividend is safe. Yeah. But I also started at a certain moment thinking like, but how are the best investors in the world doing this? What they look at? 
And then I, um, um, after some research, I came to the Yachtman Investment Fund, which is really um, using a dividend growth investing approach. And also, um, um, how is it? They are also value investors. And I also started to blend that in with the single best investment uh, theory. And based on that, I created my own template and I have even a scoring matrix in that. I fill it in for myself. It's unbiased there for assessment. And then there comes a rating out. And and based on some factors, I then think, uh, decide, okay, this is worth buying for me uh, or not. But in the end, um, I don't do any investment before I've checked all three financial statements myself. So, um, the income statement, the cash flow statement, and the balance sheet. And I go to the annual reports and I don't use um, non-GAAP earnings or a core EPS or something like that. I use the real earnings according to the financial standards. Mm-hmm. And then I look at the trends over time. I look at whether there was some awkward behavior. And you see that typically in the income statement when, for instance, the gross margin was a bit lower due to expense. So, one of expenses or something like that. I look at that and, and usually uh, I end up in a situation that I then don't understand the market because the market is pricing a stock totally different than what my, my analysis says. And this is the awkward thing when you first look at the data and later at the share price. That's also one thing I do. I usually look first at the data and judge my valuation. And after that, I start looking at the share oh. price so that I'm not getting biased. This is hard now, having all the share prices in my head. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking. <laughs> yeah. And the last thing that I, I, I don't really do a lot is uh, uh, thinking about uh, rating agencies. I, I use it a little bit in my analysis to refer to whether they got a BB plus or an A plus, but I don't trust rating agencies at all. If I, and I think there's a bias towards US stocks versus European stocks. While I genuinely believe that many European stocks have better balance sheets at the moment than US stocks. But so far, usually when I look into the companies, I see that the European stocks are having a lower grading in those yeah. um, things. So I don't understand it anymore. And, and you touched on, on valuation and it's something that I'm starting to, to learn. So I've, I've recently learned about the dividend discount model, for example, and I've started to use that. And I'm trying to come up with my own templates to to value companies you seem to have a little bit more experience but how do you go about valuing the actual company yeah so i i used a, a combination of the dividend discount model just because it's really simple but also my own discount cash flow model um i, I learned this all at university so what a dis- discounted cash flow model effectively is it allows you to sorry for the for the financial terms but it allows you to calculate the net present value based on future cash flow uh, assumptions. So, um, you know, money is not the same, uh, has not the same worth in a year from now as it has today. So you may, if you expect that, for instance, the cost of capital, just of of having, uh, let's say, owning capital, you would need to go to the bank and you might, for an investment, might need to pay 10% interest rate or something like that. Or you could go to an investor who, who asks 15%, or you could go somewhere else and you would get 5% issue shares, for instance. So this whole blend come, uh, 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 will get you to an, um, what they call the cost of capital, the weighted average cost of capital, WEC, which is also an, uh, almost a synonym for the discount rate. If you use this number, you are effectively talking about your inflation rate. So if you assume that it's like usually between 8 and 10%, 
then for instance, hundred dollars today is probably worth ninety dollars next year. So if you then look at um, the upcoming five years and thinking what their cash flow might be, and you can you can do this right. You look at the past free cash flow. You can feel like, oh, this is a trend. I believe the catalyst is still the same, so it will keep growing like that. You can effectively, via calculation, calculate what all that money in the future is worth today. And that divided by the amount of shares outstanding gives you um, uh, the fair value. And I have a template for that. I can also put it in the, a link into the uh, comment section here. Um, but having said that, I know that this becomes really complex, but this is something that I use. But to mm -hmm. your point with Udemy, I would, if you really want to build a portfolio and it will end up in a half a million dollar or a half a million euro or a million euro, please invest in a hundred dollar course on accounting and how to read balance sheets and how to do a discounted cash flow. Uh, for the simple uh, uh, sake that you're playing with a lot of, lot of, lot of money and if you are able to read an income statement and balance sheet and a cash flow statement, you'll be able to probably spot already 80% of the issues with a company. Fraud is really hard to detect. Not even the, the best of the best fund managers can easily detect it. But I would say that's probably the best investment that you can do if you start doing your own stock picking and building your, your portfolio over time. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, and said it's something that I'm starting to to learn so I start with a book and I'll probably go to a course and and do that and I have a, a couple of friends that that are accountants so I'm sure they'll steer me in the right direction and it doesn't even need to be an online course right probably your university nearby in the nearest by yeah. city a lot, uh, gives you an eight or a three month semester for yeah. some money and you can ask all the questions to your professor yeah yeah. So, but this is this is how I do it, and I hope that uh, this answered also a little bit the questions from uh, Eric in Paris and uh, Philip Sackler about practically what we use as sources. We will put all the links in the uh, description of this video. But um, those were actually not the only questions that we had. Uh, so, EMF, maybe a question for you to start with from Dividend Wave. What is your biggest regret for not buying, and your greatest escape for not buying? when it comes to stocks. So, so what, are, yeah, what, the, what are you most I, I, happy with and your, your biggest regret when it comes to not having done something? I will start with my greatest escape and it was just before I got into dividend growth investing. Bank of Ireland, it was around the time of the financial crash and Bank of Ireland didn't, they were paying a dividend actually at the time but they didn't crash as hard as AIB which is another national bank in Ireland. And one of the guys was looking at him, his, his brother is into, was into financials at that time and he was thinking that they were in good investment. What I didn't know was that he thought they were in good investment after they, after they dipped about 70% or 80%, but he, he was expecting that to happen. So we were like planning together, we're going to save up lots of money and, and put it in. And in the end, we just kind of lost interest and, and forgot about him. But man, I'm glad I didn't. They were about they were double digits anyway and they dropped down two cents we would have lost everything <laughs> so it was it was a lucky lucky escape for me at the time um my biggest regret would be probably i don't have many to be fair i i, I tend to not let these things get to me but tesla is probably one of the ones where i remember looking at them two years ago they were sub 200 euro and 
I love the tech. I love Elon. I love I love all that stuff, and I just never ever got involved. And I kind of wish, kind of wish I did then. But as I said, I, I tend to to not let those things get to me because phone will kick in and you'll just start buying it. But if I was to pick one stock, that would be that would be mine. How about you? Same question back to you. So. Although I bought it, but I actually regret not buying much more. That was Microsoft. Um, at the time, it was around 40, 45 euros. Uh, Such an Adela was uh, killing some business units like the Nokia acquisition. Um, he also started to invest in Azure quite a lot. And everything that I read and, 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 and saw on YouTube about Nadella, I just liked. Yeah, And I like... Microsoft products in general. I loved the vision that uh, they started to bring on with Surface, even the Surface phone, although it became a flop. But there was something in there that told, it was all over the place on my gut feel, Microsoft is getting its mojo back. And then I started looking at the stock, but it was not reflected yet in the figures. And that's where my issue comes in, being by mind a value investor. So I started nibbling in. I bought 40 shares, or I think around $43. Uh, but I could have easily, on, on the funds that I had at the time, buy 200, yeah? But I just thought, like, okay, you know, let's, let's see and, and what it does. And literally one or two months later, it, 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 it just started growing. It continued rising and it didn't stop. And then I bought some additional shares again when it had a pullback uh, from 100 towards 80. And then it straight away started continuing growing. So Microsoft is definitely one of those that I regret not buying more, at least. And the greatest escape was Kinda Morgan. Uh, Kinda Morgan was an, um, an oil distributor in the United States, or it is. And it was really, really uh, popular in the dividend growth investing community because it was... Before the oil, oil crisis in 2016, it was seen as a toll gate. So it would make money anyway. Yeah, whether, whether the whether the oil price is high or low, it would get its uh, fair share as a toll gate. But nobody ever uh, considered what if there would be no oil at all going through those pipes anymore. And that's what started to happen in 2016. Um, so it slashed its dividend quite uh, significantly while not, not, not much earlier still to, to really make a dividend investment case for this stock. I never pulled the trigger just because my gut feel told me like, something is wrong with this. I don't know the company. I didn't like what they were doing with Native Americans there and their pipelines. So I just stayed away from it. But I think many, many investors at the time got burnt on uh, Kinda Morgan. So, yeah. Looks good. Yeah. So thanks for our, uh, thanks Dividend Wave. A very interesting question. Uh, we got another question from Dr. Investor. And he asked, when do you decide to, to sell a stock? So my perception on this has changed. It used to be flat out, if they cut their dividend, sell a stock. And that was my only, only metric. That has been challenged quite a bit by the Sunday investor on Twitter, who is always, always very engaged and coming back with very thoughtful comments and just helping me think, think things through. And I suppose the Shell, and you're probably similar, but the Shell dividend cut kind of epitomizes that in that they cut the dividend if, if they had done that three months before, I would have sold straight away with a question. I wouldn't have even looked at anything, but I'm, I'm starting to change my point of view on that. I don't buy stocks to sell. And that's, that's how I look. If, I, if I'm buying a stock, I'm looking to hold them for the long term. So yeah. 
if I'm selling, it has to be a, a pretty big, pretty big reason. And the dividend cut on its own is not enough anymore. I'd have to look at look at their financials, look at their growth, see do I like where they're going? Are they cutting to preserve capital? Are they cutting for the business, or are they cutting because they are up yeah. the creek without a paddle, so to speak? So it, it's it's a hard, it's a hard question now. As I said before, it would have been straight out cut when a dividend is gone, but not so much anymore. What what do you think? Um, I've got nothing to add. Exactly the same. So I use exactly the same approach. Maybe with one uh, little thing to it. I do once in a while sell a stock when I think that the fundamentals are changing. So I don't even wait for a dividend cut. But for instance, if my if my invested thesis that I had for the company for the next 20 years, so let's say Danone, my, my investment thesis is plant-based milk and such is a trend that won't stop for, for several reasons. If suddenly it seems that I changed my whole opinion on that, yeah. I would reevaluate the stock whether I still want it in my portfolio and maybe reallocate the money to to something else. But it doesn't happen a lot. It does really yeah. doesn't happen a lot. But great question, really great question. And I was like you in the beginning also selling it after dividend cut because that's what we learn from people like dividend growth investor. He's really yeah black white in this, right? Yeah. Cool. So I think with this, we are coming almost to the end of the show, but we have actually one more really interesting section, which I know is very uh, interesting for many of our listeners. So EMF, please, what's your stock pick for the week? So this week, I, I think you like this company. Um, this week I picked Pepsi. Um, obviously, consumer staple. They had a good earnings, I think just recently on, on Monday. I haven't caught up on the full the full transcript yeah. or, or dissected it fully yet. But from the snippets that I've read and from what I've seen online, it looks like they beat earnings and, and they're going in the right direction. Their dividend growth rate for five years is 9%, so it's yeah. well above what I would expect. Current yield, 3%. The, the payout ratio does worry me a little bit, and it does tend to fluctuate. I think it was sitting at 72% at the end of last year. On the last earnings call, I think it's a little bit above 100%. I'm not sure. I'd have, yeah. I'd have to double check. And the other thing that concerns me is, is their PE ratio, which is 26, 27. Yeah. I think historically their 10-year average was 18. So they're a little bit overvalued. Even though when I run my dividend discount model, and, and as basic as it is, I have yeah. them as 13% undervalued. Price to earnings, historically, it's a little bit above what I'd be prepared to pay from. But they have a strong brand. I mean, they've lasted through recessions. I think even during the last recession, they tend to get stronger. They had one dip in 2008, but then they get stronger and stronger. Everybody likes unhealthy foods, so to speak. <laughs> um, they invest heavily in R&D. They're, they're growing good. So I suppose the only concerns I have is, is, is the price. A um, little bit high, but definitely someone that I'm watching. And I think they're going in the right direction. Over, I, I think I even prefer them to Coca-Cola, and I, and I like Coca-Cola, but it's it's a bit of a toss-up. But if they're a little bit price lower, if I could get them in around P ratio of twenty, I'd maybe consider buying them. Yeah. Okay. So what about what about your stock pick for the week? 
It's the same as last week. It's the known. Um, I was really thinking about, okay, I can't say the same stock again, but honestly, I don't, I, I didn't see another uh, stock that I would like to purchase at this moment at this price more than Danone. So I think uh, it's fair to our listeners to be just truly transparent in this and yeah. not just uh, choose another stock for the sake of choosing another stock. So for me, it's, I'm sticking with Danone and I just touched upon it a little bit. It's I'm dollar cost averaging in it now. And um, it allows me at least to get my position hopefully as quick as possible up to 25 to 30% of my uh, desired uh, allocation size. Very good. I was convinced you were going to say Wells Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I like your stock pick actually, Pepsi. Um, you know that um, I'm always a little bit um, concerned about actually the things that you mentioned today. Uh, that's what's always keep having a little bit my concern, but the snack business, the diversification in the portfolio is just brilliant yeah. so 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 i'm starting to go through my full analysis of them i've done the initial analysis analysis and on my g sheet i've completed some of the fields and and those are the concerns really so i am yeah. in the more i'm probably going to write a blog post but I'll, I'll go a little bit more in depth and, and see how i maybe feel at the end of the week but initially that's they, they stuck out for me this week well i'm looking forward for your uh, blog post and uh, hopefully you become uh, a fellow investor into pepsi I, I have I have a small small um, portion in them already. So ah, cool, great. I wasn't aware. Super. <laughs> well, EMF, thank you for today again. Like always, it's really a pleasure. I feel like um, I, I made a joke on uh, Twitter, like having a fireside chat uh, today. Yeah, but it really feels like that. It was again really nice to uh, speak with you and just to talk about uh, dividend growth investing. And I also would like to um, uh, highlight a little bit what we said before the show, that we noticed that the engagement is, is, is increasing very much with the, with the podcast. We get a lot of direct messages, questions. We're also starting to see comments coming in. And it just shows that um, uh, the topics that we are addressing lives among our listeners. And I'm very uh, humbled that... Uh, uh, we get so many good positive uh, feedback so uh, thank you all listeners um, uh, it's our pleasure we're doing this for fun it's our passion and we're just really glad uh, that we are able to inspire you as well along the way and um, well EMF from your side any um, last words of wisdoms or any any comments that you would like to um, uh, to leave before we uh... no I, I can't add much more to what what you said I, I agree completely our listeners have been great the comments have been great I've met so many new people already I'm learning so much and I love these chats I mean I look forward it's, it's my favorite time of the week now I'm getting a lot more comfortable in speaking and, and confident enough to, to come on here so I really enjoy it and I hope everyone sticks around listens and just keep getting involved and that's how we'll all, we'll all grow and all learn together by asking these questions by speaking about them it's, it's a great way to learn, I think. And, and as I said, met some fantastic people and I'm grateful and humbled also. So thanks very much, everyone, that, that takes their time out of the day to, to listen to us. Great. Well, so if you are listening, if you haven't uh, hit the subscribe button yet, do it. It will um, probably spread the word a little bit further. Hopefully we can inspire much more people. And see you next week again. See you guys. <laughs>